Cradleine Network. Let's oh God! <laughs> my name is Conrad. This is my alongside my friend Fox. This is the 260th episode of Space Better 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for August to <laughs> September 1992. Prague 796 to 799. This time, mm. we'll hear some of Bradley's bedtime stories, destroy London with Zenith, go to the circus with Robo Hunter, oh. and answer the real question as we finish Judgment Day. Who the hell's going to mess with us? Woo! Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, God. <laughs> Those two can walk into the sunset and do deep kissing, and I'd be all right with it. It's, listen, you know, just do what feels right. If you want to read along with us, the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 17 and Zenith Phase 4. Oh, man. Listen, everybody. Off, uh, um, oh, um, God. Um, I, you backstage, know, Fox and I just spent 30 minutes talking about some extremely weird stuff, so we're quite loopy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think we Centaur better try stuff. to shake out the – oh, man. We better try to shake out the sillies and thus – First, let's send it to the Judgment Zone for Thrill One, Judge Dread. Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Carlos Sascara, Dean Ormston, Pete and Pete Doherty, letting robot Tom Frame. All right. It's our final time here in the Judgment Zone. We got to finish strong as we're finally getting to the big final fight with Subas. Oh, man. But first, we got to deal with these underbosses. Dread, Johnny Alpha, and uh, J- Judge Inspector Sadu of Hondo Sit, as well as some Hondo Sit red shirts, are facing off against the deadly Charnax, these zombie dudes. And that's when things get goofy. Oh, man. Um, as uh, the Charnax then burst into a musical number, it's uh, I Want to Be Like You from the, jun- from, the, uh, from the Jungle Book, but it's about murder. <laughs> I guess it's got a flair for the dramatic. Hoo, hoo, hoo. I want to murder you. Hoo, hoo. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's such a anyway, Dredd's had choice. enough. <laughs> he doesn't care for this silliness. And so he and all the other judges start blasting chunks out of the Charnax as they continue to sing and kill these red shirts. Oh, God. I mean, they blow so, a hole through the mouth of one of them, and it's just like... They just yeah, keep yeah. coming and saying. Keeps coming. Keeps right. singing somehow. <laughs> Sabat has to laugh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eli. No, I was saying, it's, yeah, singing with the, no vocal cords. That's why, you know, it's magic. It's some high-level necromancy going on. Yeah, plus, you know, just the just the magic of musical theater in general is helping. It's right. keeping them going. It's probably you know? their strength, Come really. On. Definitely. Yeah, that's where you get it from. <laughs> I like thinking so, that, that a portion of the study of necromancy is magical singing. Right. Well, I mean, we all know that that like skeletons like to dance and stuff. Oh, that's you know. true. Play xylophones on their ribs. Yeah, people say they feel it in their bones. That it's like their Ooh. skeleton is actually trying to dance, but they just you know. Yeah, there's that one <laughs> Betty Boop cartoon full of skeletons where they all sing Minnie the Moocher. That kind of all, all that stuff, you know, it's right. classic. 
It's a hoochie coochie. Um, Sabat has to laugh at his creations, basically laughing at his own jokes here. Um, as back in Hondo, we see a bunch of mega cities and population centers all being destroyed before the eyes of these sort of assembled judges. Magruder's had enough of this. If she's going to die, she's going to do it with a gun in her hand, by God. And the Hondo chief agrees. Whether Dread succeeds or not, their place is in battle, and they head out to the Hondo city border. In Mega City 1, Hershey's blasting zombies as we learn that basically everybody related to the Justice Department's also on the fighting lines, including cadets and stuff. Um, someone asks her, what about all the citizens? There's no judges on the streets of Mega City 1 at all. And Hershey's like, well, the citizens, they're probably all looting. Get back to killing these zombies. Who cares? <laughs> Which is, is, is very similar to Dredd saying, who cares about the citizens of Mega City 1 during the Apocalypse War? Like, in the end, these judges have bigger things to worry about sometimes. Underground, the third Honda City redshirt is killed as Dredd tosses a grenade. One of the ch uh, Chardak smashes his, that uh, shotgun gun he's been using. But it seems like, honestly, it was a help because he switches to his lo uh, lawgiver and starts blasting uh, high X rounds, which actually do seem to blow up these Chardaks pretty effectively, especially when Johnny, when Johnny Alpha fires a, a number four cartridge from his, uh, fr fr from his gun as well. Big explosions. Yeah, big old explosions. The Karnaks are destroyed. And we see uh, Inspector Sadu, who still has survived but lost an arm in the fighting, cauterizes the wound to keep oh, going, which is God. pretty awesome. Very Rambo move here, definitely. Um, the car the Charnaks have all been destroyed, and Sabat's cape taunts him and says that he's probably in trouble now. But Sadu's got more tricks up his sleeve, as our heroes are suddenly swarmed by a giant mass of, like, skulls with hands coming out uh, of the bottom of the skull. Oh, it's creepy. Uh, not into it. <laughs> Weird skull monsters. Sadu, Alpha, and Dread are quickly overwhelmed and captured by the skull hands who sort of wrap them in like giant bones and then crowd surf them to Sabat's <laughs> lair while singing, again, a death version of uh, We're Off to See the Wizard. A lot of singing. Sabat's victory is close, and so he decides to take some time to think about the old days and remember his early life on Osborne's world. A planet where someone named Soppy Walters got beat up by a kid named Den, who looks like the UK version of Dennis the Menace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is like that red and black uh, striped shirt and kind of the spiky hair. That's, that's UK Dennis. In the US, he's blonde, of course, whatever. And I believe less, um, less menacing and dangerous. <laughs> less menacing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the the menacing of U.S. Dennis the Menace is more existential than, like, actually beating you up or something. Um, on his way home after getting beaten up, Sapi is stopped by a nice lady named Baggy, who offers to help him with the bullies by teaching him the old ways of magic. She offers to just sort of teach him a spell to turn him blue for a week. But oh. Soggy has other ideas. Instead, he quickly kills Baggy by drowning her in her own cauldron and then reads from her library of black magic volumes. This kid's a real jerkwad. Seriously. Yeah. You try to do something nice. Uh, but I also think her motivation was a little weird. Hey, they won't pick on you if you turn yourself blue. Like, eh, they're probably still going to pick you. I don't think you understand social dynamics. Or how messed no, up I think I the plan was to, turn, was, to, was to turn the bully blue, I think. Oh, I, I mean, like, okay. Oh, 
if they're worried about being turned blue, then they won't try to beat you up or whatever. I feel like nice. that is not a deterrent. Right. They'd still punch you harder, definitely. <laughs> and they, you then turn they just blue? Form, <laughs> then they just form a band, and then they just shave their heads, and then there's the blue man group. You're oh, giving them a career. Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! They're anyway. doing interpretive, <laughs> futuristic music. Oh god! Oh my god! He's, right. He he starts their careers. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, but that that is the kind of gift that a witch would give you. You know, where you right. think you're getting even, Ooh. but you actually start the blue man group. You right. know, like right. that's right. a pretty ironic punishment. You yeah. know, lesson to witches: don't try to teach a kid how to get vengeance. It always ends yeah. up with you just being drowned in a cauldron. See, this yeah, is you can't trust these this kids. This is why uh, most witches just want to cook children and eat them. Right. Yeah, exactly. they learn from this example. Right. Exactly. Anyway, Soggy makes like a voodoo doll or whatever and kills Den with it, and then raises his from the raises Den from the dead and keeps him like a weird zombie dog. It's kind of disturbing. Like if you want to really start to think about some implications into this character I, and I, what happens to him. I believe that this is not subtext. <laughs> I just want to say that like somewhere along the way, Den loses his pants and that's, and that's something you don't really think <laughs> oh, about too much. No. <laughs> um, over the years, Sapi gets real into necromancy, eventually learning at the feet of Murd the Oppressor, who's an alien necromancer who would later be killed by Judge Dredd in the course of the Judge Child quest. Just another sort of one last callback here. <laughs> to um, events of Dredd's past. Sapi left Murd as Sabat, and the rest is history. At last, the judges and Strontium Dog have arrived at Sabat's lair, and he's not even sure what to do with them, though we do see that Den is still with Sabat as a weird zombie pet suddenly. It's, it's which with I don't, eyes I, still. Still yeah, has eyes. Yeah. Those, are pro- those are probably don't. new eyes. I, I imagine he gets oh, still switched fair. out every so often. Mm-hmm. Got to top up the embalming fluid. Yeah, yeah but uh, imagine how petty you have to be to you got bullied in middle school or whatever age he was, and was like immortal servitude. I will reanimate your corpse. Like that's way worse. That p- punishment definitely doesn't fit the crime. I think. Man, what yeah. I know? Well, I mean, I think that certainly. I, I, I'd imagine over the years that his relationship with Dana has has changed. Is all I'm trying to say. Uh, uh, okay, right. Like. Ugh. Where eventually the fact that he used to be a bully is more sort of like a fun story at the start of their longer love affair or whatever else. <laughs> right. you know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, to be a necromancer comes with the territory, I suppose. Exactly. So now we're on to our final time in the magazine for this story. This Dean Or Ormston once more takes up his paintbrush. The two judges and Strontium Dog are tied to the ceiling by hanging spines. Oh, man. As Sabat pulls out a mystic orb and sends like lightning into our heroes. The death by as many cuts as possible. Tiny razor blades are like slicing them up as Sabat gloats. Dread, of course, is silent. He won't give Sabat the uh, satisfaction of crying out in pain. And so Sabat instead shows off his mystic lodestone. He kind of explains, you know, goes into full monologue mode here. Yeah, no big crystal. You feed it blood and it gives you power. Pretty solid. And I can always give it blood because, you know, I got all these zombies and stuff. 
Um, he keeps monologuing as Sadu has an idea. With his one arm, he pulls his nunchucks off his belt. And I thought these nunchucks were just for show, so I'm glad they're actually coming into the plot here. Um, <laughs> he pulls off these nunchucks. And I guess one of the staves of the chucks has a collapsible sword in it? That's awesome. Yeah, man. Right. I wonder if it's in both of them. They could become sword chucks oh, if you really came down to it. Gotta God. be. Gotta be. It's a missed opportunity. Sword chucks seem, sword chucks seem both awesome and a really great way to like cut your face off. <laughs> <laughs> but he uses the sword to cut himself free of the spines, take a slash at Sabat, and then Johnny Alpha swings in on the spines and kicks Sabat right in the gut, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Sadu runs off, but Sabat gets him with his magic. He rips oh. out Sadu's ribs, eyes, and heart, uh. each with a word. It's real awesome. Just says, like, ribs, and his ribs crack open. Eyes, and his eyes pop out of his head. Ooh, that's how maybe how he gets him for Dennis. And then Dennis. his heart comes flying out. <laughs> Sadu has an iron will, though, so he can't be stopped. He stumbles to the lodestone and drives his sword through his own chest, pinning him to the stone. And because he's given it blood, he's still stolen its power. He says, release them and dies. And suddenly Dredd is free and just starts punching the shit out of mm. Sebastian. <laughs> punches him to a bloody pulp. I love the guy who gets his heart ripped out and still is like, I got one more move. Like... Oh, it did? I'm what? surprised he could still talk. Yeah, seriously. Right. Do you have one more move? Right. That I, I feel bad for Sabat. Like just freaking uh that should have done it. I mean, it's, it's when your freaking protagonist <laughs> yeah. just pull some do some ass pull and like, haha, didn't see yeah. this coming. Wait, it should be physically possible. What are you, what are you talking about? Sadu's animated by all those samurai samurai movies and animes where some guy gets like cut in half. <laughs> but doesn't know that they're cut in half. Right, right. And so, like, <laughs> like maybe, like, walks around, like, goes home, gets a cup of coffee and stuff, and then suddenly <laughs> then falls into, oh like, God. four different pieces, you know? Like, <laughs> he was dead the whole time, <laughs> but he's able to, like, keep it going, you know, through through will, through force of will. <laughs> but you're right. This is cheap. It's not – it's not – it's not fair to Sabat. <laughs> um. There, I think there's a really hilarious moment where Den tries to come save Sabat, and you think it's going to be a secondary fight in oh, here, yeah. but Dredd just stomps right on his head and crushes and kills him instantly. <laughs> I mean, he's only bones now. It's true. And eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know, but not the not the offensive parts of the human body, I guess. Um, <laughs> Which is good for him. He's been he's been yeah. through enough. He should just get his seriously just get a head stomp and just be done with it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Dread pulls Sadu's sword out, and for the unspeakable crimes against the people of Earth, he sentences the Necromagus to death and runs him through in a fountain of gore. Oh, it's awesome. But then! Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's one of those two-stage boss fights. Right. Sabat's head <laughs> goes flying off of his body, uh. and then it... On trails of blood, which then harden and becomes a, like a big uh, blood daddy long legs or something yeah. like that. Just these big spikes of blood hovering his head in the sky. He's still alive and it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. This was nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
We're closing out in the progs. Peter Doherty's on art for this one. Sabat is now a, basically just kind of the head in the center of a big blood squid or octopus, basically. Yeah, a blood topus. Yeah, ooh, blood topus. I like it. Yeah, he's pissed. The lads aren't like like Johnny and 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 Joe are kind of like, what do we do? Like, I don't know. I'm, this <laughs> this is one thing. Like, blood squid is not what I'm prepared to fight. We <laughs> have not dealt with this before. He says to play it by ear as Sabat starts punching him in the face with, the, with with his tentacles. He says, like, listen, magic is going to sustain me forever, bros. I'm immortal. And just FYI, if you did kill me, I've linked with the Lodestone. So if you killed me, it would destroy the Lodestone and Earth as well. So go to hell. I got this pocket sand. I'm, I, I got the upper deck. I, I, I got the upper hand, you know. Right. <laughs> Um, Johnny calls him a lunatic with a thing for corpses, which is pretty yeah, funny. Fair. And Sabat gets real offended by that and sort of makes a point about, hey, what's wrong with corpses? Come on, uh, guys. Not cool. Right. <laughs> That's not the defense you use. Dread responds with a pretty solid, um, like, big brother move where he just says, hey, Sabat. And then he like, punches him in the face. <laughs> But in this case, he does that thing where you hit somebody in the nose and it drives their nose bone up into their brain. Oh. Mm. Such a such an early 90s, like, Steven Seagal way of killing people. I've definitely seen that. But um, it doesn't kill Sabat, so it just really pisses him off. He's like, that really hurts, man. Come on. I said I was immortal. Um, and so his tentacles shred dread and leave his body lying in a pool of blood. Dread seems to be dead, and Sabat gives a final monologue and mentions that if he's successful here, then hey, Johnny's future will cease to exist. We so can conquer and zombify Beth Sheba over and over again. You've done nothing, Strontium Dog. Nothing. That kind of stuff. And we enter the final chapter with Carlos Escara on art, which is only right. <laughs> Beyond honor, there is duty. Beyond duty, obsession. Beyond obsession, insanity, and beyond that, there is only Judge Dredd. <laughs> He's not quite dead. Right. The lawman grabs Sadu's sword and goes to attack Sabat. Johnny Alpha sees Dredd attacking and uses his Alpha Vision, sweet, poorly defined eye powers, to create <laughs> an image of a giant grim reaper coming towards Sabat, and that distracts him enough for Dredd to come in and sever the Necromagus's head from his oct- blood to puss body. <laughs> in Mega City One, Cadet Jock. Cadet Giant and Acting Chief Judge Hershey fight side by side. It's almost the end when suddenly all the zombies fall. Suddenly dead again. The scene is the same all over the world. Judgment Day is over. Thanks to that dang Judge Dredd. There's a pretty good moment like out on the border at Hondo City where Judge Magruder just sees that the all the zombies fall and just kind of says lightly like, thanks, Joe. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Underground, the head of Sabat still stirs. They'll die unless it gets – it'll die unless it gets more energy and then destroy the lodestone with it. Not wanting to risk it, <laughs> um, Dread has a plan. He grabs Sabat's head and climbs the lodestone with it and then just jams it on top of the stone. Like, I don't know, putting an orange into one of those juicer things or something like that. Yes, he should have gotten out while he was – Ahead. Oh! 
this epic is over. Right. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> exactly. But yes, he should have quit while he was ahead. <laughs> he didn't really have a head for how tough Judge Dredd was. You know, he couldn't wrap right. his head around it. <laughs> well, he wrapped his head, his neck around the stone, at least. Oh. You know, in the end, in the end, if you try to you, to find a way to defeat the Strontium Dog Judge connection, you'll just be stumped. You know. Oh my god! <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah, he got started. <laughs> I- oh no! Anyway, he jams it on top of the stone. The sentence is life with no remission. You can't so leave for- me here. <laughs> Yeah, he'll Sabat will forever be just a head on top of a giant crystal in the center of the earth, immortal but helpless. Oh no! I, but is he? He's still got his head and his magic and his power. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Why don't you just make another blood to puss and just you know wreak havoc more? <clears throat> no, no. I mean, I don't think he thought listen. it through. <laughs> yeah, li- you know these guys are comic book guys. They don't think through these oh, like eternal punishments. You know. God. <laughs> This is some real just leave your dad in a time trap over and over again yeah. kind of solution to the That's problem, fair. you know. Also, he should, I also feel like he shouldn't be able to talk with just being ahead. But I guess that's that's canon. That happens in all types of yeah. media, right? Yeah. No, he's a magic guy. That's, okay. that's totally fine. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, presumably or maybe like uh, 60 years from now when Johnny gets back to the future, he can have some tech guys like – preserve like find a way to remove the head safely from the lodestone or something Mm -hmm. but i don't know one way or another i don't want to i don't want to say i I don't want to come right out and say that's a battle never be back that this never gets revisited you know just sort of worked for futurama so yeah (laughs) you know listen you guys have pointed out an obvious plot hole we'll see if that string um gets picked up at a later (laughs) date i'm sure i i I would be shocked if it wasn't you know fair enough (laughs) sabat cries after them but these guys don't care (laughs) Judge and Strontium Dog walk out of the caves. Dredd says that Johnny Alpha will get a pardon for his previous crimes, but stay out of my – stay out of my timeline, punk. (laughs) To stay off my turf. Johnny brings up the point that they're still stuck in the middle of the Radlands. And even if there aren't zombies, it's full of like criminals and weirdos and stuff. It's a long way back to Hondo. But as the two step out into the sunrise, Dredd just asks one simple question. Who the hell's going to mess with us? Fair. Good question. <laughs> I don't know anybody. They look out. This image of Dread and Johnny Alpha by Carlos Escara sort of walking side by side saying that is is a real iconic Judge Dread image. It's one that we'll see like other versions of as time goes by, both se- seriously and less seriously, sort of with people Dread teams up with and stuff like that. But – I love these two guys sort of see having to come to an accord and proceeding to presumably just kick their ass all the way back to, to kick ass all the way back to Hondo, basically. A mass murderer and a bounty hunter. Who's killed his share for the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times. The end of Judgment Day. Woo. Of course. Of course, in both the progs and the magazine, now the hard work of rebuilding must begin. Meanwhile, Johnny Alpha will travel to the future to be killed by demons. I mentioned he will return, but not for many years. And that's it for this crossover. Oh, man. What do you guys think of Judgment Day? It's great. Yeah. uh, Gotta love the zombie nonsense. Uh, Really wasn't expecting (laughs) a musical uh, during the finale there. But, you know, they always aim to please. Yeah. I was also curious, like, I know with crossovers, like, um, like when you do the whole Goku versus Superman thing, my answer is usually, like, 
who's writing it. Like, that's usually who's mm-hmm. going to mm. make it work. So, with these two characters, it definitely felt like they were leaning more on Dredd's badassery. Like, he seemed to be, like, yeah. a big star. Like, uh, so, I'm wondering how yeah. that came about. But I mean, Garth Ennis is very much, like, he's a, like he's the guy who wrote this and he's very much, um, the, you know, he's the writer for Dredd at this point in the progs and stuff like that. Mm. But... I will say an important thing to note is that um, Carlos Escara, this the, like the art, one of the artists in here, is the artist who created both uh, Judge Dredd and Johnny Alpha, mm-hmm. um, and so it, to me, it's really fun for these two characters that were both created by the same artist to team up and be drawn by that artist as well, oh. sort of doing some definitive editions of these characters and sort of how they interact with each other and stuff mm. like that. Like they're very much sort of, you know, I don't know, brothers by sort of from these creative teams and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, at this point, like this is very much, this also feels like a very Garth Ennis thing. Um, he's one of the first, he's sort of a, a, a young Arthur here. I think he's like 21 or 22 at this point and grew up reading 2000 AD. And so far in comics he's written, he's got a very – he's had a very – especially for Dread, a very like, sort of looking to the past and bringing back cool characters from those stories and stuff. Like, you know, some people accuse him of of, of being more of a fanboy than a writer, sort of writing fan fiction instead of um, new stories or something like that. Um, and this sort of has that feel of – or – Someone with that motivation to having that idea for a pitch, you know, like what if Judge Dredd and Johnny Alpha team up and all the other judges from around the world are there too and all this stuff, you know, like right. it definitely feels like an Ennis thing or something that that he would be pushing for when he took took over on, on Dredd. It's cool. Yeah. Fox, what do you think of Judgment Day? How are you feeling? Uh, you know me. I like me a silly, a goof villain. Uh, I like a man <laughs> with a face cape. Um, mm-hmm. I I like um, zombie nonsense, as you said, Eli, as just a general term for zombies now. <laughs> this is some zombie nonsense. It um, absolutely is. Which is which is good. You know, again, we're we're just coming off of the back of like Judge Death, so you know, it. it I like the incorporation of magic. I could give mm. a crap about Gaia lines or whatever, but. I definitely do like uh, general necromancy and shenanigans in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. Man, 30 billion people are dead and it's just like, yeah. when's the next death toll going to hit? But um, yeah, how do you top this is, is definitely a good question. The for Earth sure. explodes. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, like I, I liked I liked reading through all of these with you guys. It is a very mm-hmm. different experience kind of running through um the entirety of it, right? Um, the, yeah, we just, yeah, I, sh- I should say the the judgment zone here, you know, folks will hear it sort of week by week, but we did it in one big mammoth recording session, definitely, and sort of a different, a, 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 a different kind of feel than our standard recordings, plus just having three people here is also a, 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 an interesting <laughs> a crossover. Well. <laughs> Ooh. Um, and then I'll, I'll end on like, man, if you didn't see it yet, Judge Dredd has gotten a lot more graphically violent. Absolutely. Which I'm okay with. I like I like me some squibs mixed in with some comedy. I yeah. think this rode the line that it does that, you know, a good um that a good 2000 AD prog does, right? Where you get mm-hmm. a little bit of that silliness with the dower. Um it's still a comic book after all. 
um, if that if that makes sense. Not that things Definitely. should be confined to a particular uh, uh, way of being, but I yeah. there was something else I thought was funny, and this is mostly I'm going to try to use this in my own writing. Was that uh, they kept making the danger just a higher number of zombies? It was like it was a, they're, just right. the, they're fighting zombies, and all you need to do is draw them fighting zombies. But you just need a guy in the back being like this amount of zombies. Oh no, we're so much more danger now. And then more zombie fighting yeah. panels. And a guy just saying a bigger number. There's like a billion kazillion zombies out there. How are you going to get them all? That they keep increasing. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's an interesting thing about, I guess, this like this zombie concept or whatever. Because they, the zombies all seem pretty easy to kill, honestly. Right. Like these guys are ripping – like, you know, Dred's able to just sort of punch them to custard pretty, pretty – pre- right. without much trouble. Right. But they just keep coming and they keep being more and more of right. them, you know. Yeah, it's attrition <laughs> at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't quantify Definitely. all these zombies. It's too many. <laughs> Countless. Countless zombies. Right. Luckily, there's still plenty, I feel like, you know, with not just zombies where people die and then come back, like maybe in The Walking Dead, but zombies where, like, the dead are coming out of graves and stuff like that. Then you start getting weird questions about, like, how far back does it go? Like, you know, <laughs> will historical figures become zombies? Like, what What about, like, Cro-Magnon zombies? All kinds of stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, plan, I, I, would, so. I would assume as long as the bones aren't completely gone, right? Skeleton. Mm. Yeah. yeah. One guy was just a skeleton. <gasps> <laughs> zombie uh, dinosaurs there are dinosaurs uh, in the cursed earth why didn't he bring that, back dinosaurs that's true Missed opportunity <laughs> big yep. time oh my god what a freaking flub of a necromancer this guy is right i think we'll think get an undead t-rex at some point for the record i wouldn't that's so great i wouldn't count that out in the years to come listen i'm a five-year-old boy and i want my dinosaurs <laughs> exactly I, I also like that the um uh Gundam suits changed with the artists. They were still both oh, yeah. badass, but I just know that like mm-hmm. uh, me. Yeah, there's less styling in the in in the Ormston ones for sure. Right, but it's it's like one of those things. I've been on projects where it's a collaboration. Like, hey, you draw this page, and I'll draw this page, and then you're mm-hmm. partnered with an artist that has a completely different art style, and you have to draw something very specific. It's one thing if you can just like change outfits from scene to scene, but like, mm. all right, we're all in these giant Gundams. Like, I can't freaking draw that. <laughs> what do you? Why would you? Why would I be partnered with this person? Uh, whatever. I'm just, just do my big best. Suits. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> right. The fans will understand. Yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. It is interesting just seeing these different um, artists come together because I think guys like um, Doherty and or- and Ormstrom have a much more sort of impressionistic feel, I guess. Whereas Escara mm. has this very like like um, I don't know, maybe not realistic, but like I guess like a comic book kind of look. That it is kind of interesting, sort of jumping from one to another as these um, as the story progresses. Certainly, right. But all right, well, oh what did man, you think Conrad? Oh, Conrad, yeah. oh god, who cares what that guy thinks? I like this a lot, honestly. I, you know, like as um, someone who had who keeps all of this prog knowledge and like you know dread knowledge in the back of my head, like bringing back all these characters to kill them is a lot of fun i'm so like hey it's that guy oh he's dead like that kind of stuff <laughs> love seeing all the judges from around the world i thought sabat was really fun villain if i have one problem it's just that i wish um you know we've we've got we've destroyed some of these cities and we never really got a chance to look at them you know yeah. like 
we've seen, despite the fact that like we had um, that one uh, Chopper story in there, we've still we've seen very so little of of, of Mega City Two. And yeah. now it's just been nuked off the, off the face of the earth, you know. And I sort of, you know, as a as a Californian myself, I would have liked to see more of more of that city in its uh, in, in its glory, you know. Um, maybe like I'd say I'd like to have seen us Sino sit, but honestly, I'm a little trepidatious yeah. about um, the caricatures that would be there. Yep. But still, like you know, I think the idea of a of a Judge China is an interesting one. Maybe there's a Sino sit two out there someday or something. Um, but, and I think that they did take some, you know, I appreciated them, if not killing Dread or whatever, at least killing off some recurring characters that we've seen and stuff like that. Even, even if a lot of them were brought back just to be killed. And then <laughs> Dread and Johnny, and then Dread and Johnny Alpha teaming up. Mwah! That's exactly what I want from a crossover like this. Something that like brings back a character I love to hang out with uh dread and the two of them sort of having a fight, but then ending up bros at the end. Like, I don't, you know, that's, that's exactly the, uh, the trajectory of a team up that I want, you know? But yeah, a lot of fun. And it's been really great recording with, with both of you guys for hey. sure. Really love this crossover stuff that went pretty good. Um, there's another crossover coming, between the magazine and the progs, but we probably won't get, but we won't get to it till a 2022. Oh, good God. With the story, uh, uh, Wilderlands, which is a, a slightly smaller story, not world destruction, but still some very important plot points for, uh, Judge Dredd and members of the, of, the, of the Justice Department should be good, but then we'll be in the Wilder Zone. Ooh, it's going to be exciting. Until then, though, at last we leave the judgment zone. Thank you, thank you guys so much for coming along with me on this adventure, and let's return to your regularly scheduled pro uh, to your regularly scheduled podcasting. Whoa! Thrill to Bradley. Oh man! <laughs> Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Sam Harrison, letting robot Ellie Deville. Okay, Fox. Here we go. So. Yeah, I, I'm going to save my comment for the end, but there seems to be a through line with these. Yeah, definitely. Um, it seems Bradley's on his best behavior, so he doesn't get set back to the Institute. So he's nicely reading a bedtime story to baby Sprague Annabella. Uh, this time it's the story of the Little Were-Maid. It's, uh, it's the story of the Little Mermaid here with Simon Harris and Christian I Anderson, etc., Exactly. And of course, the Disney movie had come out a year or two before or two years before this one, I want to say. Maybe four, you know, 88, something like that. Whoa, 88. There's no way. This was like 92. This is 92. <laughs> but, but, the, but, but, the, well, but the little I'm talking about I'm talking about the Disney movie, The Little Mermaid. There's yeah, no 80, way. 89. 89. What? That's when that came out. Uh, yeah, I was truly a child. I was only I think four. we're. I, th I I think right now we're in the midst of uh like Beauty and the Beast had just had came out in ninety one. Oh yeah. And so I think I forget which one God, came out. God, that's nuts for how good one. the Little Mermaid looks. I mean, you know, that uh that cartoon animation, buddy, it's it's good, you know? Yeah. Does what it wants to do. Ah, whatever. I'm not gonna look it up too much on the fly here. Here we go. Um <laughs> So I really like Simon Harrison's art, especially for this one, actually. Um, he's, he does a really good job of making things both really beautiful and also disturbing and alien at the same oh, time as we see this strong stuff. Strong agree. 
strong agree. Man can draw a hot uh, lingerie-clad woman. Yeah. And also a terrifying sea witch. That's right. So, um... Basic story, basic story, you know, it's the basic Hans Christian Anderson story here. The Weir Maid trades her voice for legs with a sea hag who then shows up and seduces the maid's beloved prince by using that stolen voice. The hag then tricks her by giving her her voice or tricks her again by giving her a voice back, but then turning her into a fish. I mean, but the big big twist there is like she got the voice, but then the hag disguises herself as like a, a super hot suicide girl. Like that's right. And with a great only way. Yeah. And then when she gets turned into a fish, the hag tricks her a third time by making her part of the prince's life forever by having him eat her for dinner. I mean, at least for like the first 24 hours, I guess. Well, you know, I, I imagine Nutrition. some of her essential her her essential nutrients could hang around with him longer. You know, I mean, there's a lot of iron in fish or whatever, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Anyway, the, the end. She's Moral also story, don't partially trust poop. Yeah. As are as are as are we all? Um, oh well, well, yeah. Think about it. So, Fox, all these stories start with Bradley asking Annabelle if she's sitting comfortably, and okay. um, that is a reference to long-running BBC radio program to a long-running BBC radio uh, program called Listen with Mother, which seems to be about a lady reading stories for kids to listen to. Basically, oh, that's neat. I like that idea, like a radio program to. Tell kids stories. Yeah, it's just one of these deep British culture kind of things here. I think is kind of interesting. Our next story is based on the story The Ice Queen, which Frozen is also sort of based on, but not really. Yeah, no, I got that idea up until they got to the ice cream and the weird sex stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, that's sort of a ver- an addition to it as well, of course. Um, <laughs> like, I feel like Frozen mostly just took the concept of an ice queen and then made it about, you know, the stuff Frozen is about, basically. Letting it go, etc. Um, but in this one, this hot-ass ice queen throws away her mirror and one of the shards hits this kid K in the eye, makes him turn evil and Bradley-esque. In the end, he chases some leather sleds, some like Leatherman sleds, you know, leather daddy sleds or whatever, to the Whoa. castle of the Ice Queen where they make out and eat ice cream. And that seems like a good time, to be honest. I, like, I, she's like super into him immediately. Uh, also, I mean, she's, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I don't get it. I'm going to feed you ice cream and you're going to be my boy toy. Yeah, good. Thanks, Listen. thanks, Bradley. I get who this is aimed at now. Listen, I, the, I uh, now understand why people say, well, I like Bradley. And I'm like, yeah, OK, I don't know if you like Bradley. <laughs> the Ice King from Adventure Time could have learned a lot from this lady. That's all I'm trying to say. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, Kai's friend Gerda, who is not his sister they're not brother and sister don't even think about it um she comes and tries to uh save uh Kay, but Kay's like well, i feel like i'm in a pretty good position it's hard to argue with him and he tells Gerda to get lost the end <laughs> uh next up, i'm trying to I'm avoid a sex mo- slave uh, being fed whatever i want uh you got what do you got what do you got here? I mean, you aren't going to offer me anything better. Like, you know, whatever. Sex slave seems fine. Seems like a fine job, at least when I mean, you're he's living a you life know, of in decadence. your 20s. You do some sex slavery, especially like wow. 
some like you know low impact sex slavery that involves a lot of food based stuff like uh you know that's fine <laughs> like she wants to feed me ice cream all the time but you know what i'm kind of into it yeah maybe maybe have them maybe have a different title so you can put it on your resume besides sex slave like like personal oh, assistant or something no, and then you get a, to i mean go. it's gonna be you know a culinary culinary expert or assistant right. culinary expert, right? Mm. You're getting learned. <laughs> yeah. Trying to avoid his mom, Bradley and Annabella are in some kind of Japanese situation and then tells the story of the Nightingale. Um, as opposed to in that one where it was – it's just a story of like a bird and then they record the song and make a mechanical version of the song. But the real one is still like better or whatever else. Um, this time, it's an actual woman that sings like a bird um, when I guess – the inspiration of the story by Anderson was um, a Danish singer that was called like the, the Danish Nightingale or something. But anyway, she's a great singer and has taken to perform for the emperor, even though he generally prefers his Sonio brand hi-fi. She sings really well and is hired, becoming rich, a rich and famous celebrity, though she longs for her old life. And I guess that's okay because then the CEO of Sonio shows up the next day with a digital tape recorder. They tape the digital voice and she's out on her ass. Wah, wah, wah. That's Look at the showbiz, folks. I mean, I guess, except why wouldn't they give her a contract? Because clearly she it can sing more than one song. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even get a, a good, like, recording setup or anything like that. Like, there's no pop filter on that mic. I'm just saying all that stuff. Very, very episode one of Space Spinner 2000 level of recording, you know, talking into the mic the wrong way, all that stuff. Uh, anyway, it looks like Bradley's hooked up with his buddy Milton now, and we're doing a version of the Emperor's new clothes called the King's Birthday Suit. It seems like it's set in the world of the Emperor's new clothes, but now a pair of yeah. con men are trying to get rich by having the, um, this king one-up that emperor. Uh, the king agrees, and so the process begins. They're not going to make him naked. They're going to make his skin invisible. Ugh. And soon the king is walking around like a common Frank Hart, visible man, looking for a ah. wedding to eat all the cake at with his bare hands. <laughs> I understand that reference. <laughs> Drink it's all that champers. That's right. It's, uh, yeah, champagne straight from the bottle. Not a great way to drink champagne, actually. Um, <laughs> everything's pretty crazy until a kid sees this king and recognizes him as one of the Frankenstein monsters their town hates so much, and they run the king out on a rail. The end. I don't know. This is just another yeah. one of these weird four-issue anthology stories you've been having a bunch of in 92, Fox, like yeah. those tales from beyond science or Tharg's dragon tales or something. Uh... So, at the risk of sounding pro Bradley, <laughs> these are these are better. Two of them make it clear to me that it's for horny teenagers. Mm. But the other, like the the singing one, feels like it's like what's the point here? Uh, mm -hmm. I get it, but but it, there's not like a, a pithy point, I guess. It's just like, yeah, we can record things now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. just the one thing. I feel like that's not I tied mean, up I, very well. Where the other I'll, ones were, where it's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I, I tricked you or I'm going to stay with this hot lady. And then with the last one, it was interestingly grotesque. It was a good twist mm -hmm. on a thing that I already didn't like, which was the Emperor's New Clothes. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Um, 
That was gross. They made him an anti-skin suit Mm -hmm. and then killed him, I guess, or ran him out of town. Yeah. Let me say that I know that this Bradley was five was five episodes, but like, you know, we got these these chunks of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is something that people have that I think even in letters we've we've heard said about like Revere, which is also by Simon Harrison, which is that his art style is such a way that he can slide boobs in in that way that people don't seem to notice. <laughs> so they can oh, yeah. be. They can be quite, um, you know, titillating for want of a better word or whatever. Well, or quite, I mean, like, but, but the, they, but, got, they got chicks in here. That's what like, I'm trying to like, say. But the slider goes from hot to scary and weird looking real quick. Yes. So I like it. Like, I love the art style very specifically. Other than the, like, the character direction of Bradley and like this, whatever. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. understand why Bradley's got to look the weird way he does. Clearly he has a thing for it. But like, you know, you take a lady and it's like, whoa, she's like va va voom, whatever, like that kind of classic look. And then like in an, in the next page, it's like weird child in the middle of these like massive thighs. She looks emaciated and weird. Yeah. He can I, just I mean, go from sexy to weird so fast that it blows my mind. You got to focus on individual pages if you're trying to try to do your thing. I will say I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate these stories for be, being about these sort of like irreverent takes on fairy tales as opposed to being stories about how cool Bradley is. Yeah. Like I think that's a really big – that's a big positive change for the, this character in these stories. Yeah, because I don't think Bradley is cool. In fact, I like – I mean really Bradley is just the container for me reading what I read, I guess. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Bradley will return with more bedtime stories in March of 93. And yeah, not not too bad, I'll say. Well, it's definitely not the worst thing in this comic book. Yeah, but yeah, you know, like in Bradley, is it a sign of the end times? Well, let's see how the world ends with Thrill 3, Zenith. All right, here we go, Zenith. Very arresting image for Americans as the Capitol building burns and a visibly younger Michael Payne talks about the horror of the Horus-affiliated super beings basically pulling the trigger on their conquest of humanity. We're we're also getting comments from him as he's getting younger and like the things that he's doing. Yeah, in this one we just see his silhouette, but while he's previously been an old bald guy, he clearly has a bunch of hair now. Yep. Uh, the superhero that or the super beings do a press conference and they talk about how they're basing this and what we know is the false flag death of the super, of the superhuman domino. And <laughs> now the United States has, for all intents and purposes, been destroyed as they take guardianship of the United States I, I or like sorry of the Earth, I should say. It. This is such a telling thing about how everybody else kind of thinks about the government structure. They're like, look, we've taken out. The White House. We've taken out Congress. And more importantly, we've taken out Fort Knox. Fort Knox was like a thing back in the Civil War, in a way. I mean, I but like not they, not not in the eighties, certainly not in the nineties. They talk about the Pentagon too, but yes, oh, it yeah, is kind right, of funny. The Pentagon. The Pentagon's the big one. Like yeah, of all of them, is- like, oh fuck, they took out the Pentagon. I mean, I guess the gold in Fort Knox does sort of underwrite some yeah. level of American currency, but I don't think it's – It's I just – Honestly, I don't know like that much. It, they just don't keep that much there. It's just – it's more of like a, a thing that was – it's kind of like saying we took out the Alamo. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, I would be I would be surprised if Fort Knox didn't exist. Like, if it wasn't more important as a Kentucky tourist attraction than as some as like the actual fi- as a financial institution, well, right? These days. And it showed up in Judge Dredd to house like the vampiric body of a president. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where that's where Bad Bob ba- Bad Bob Booth was uh, was imprisoned all these years as the last president. Definitely, yeah. Um, it's weird. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, I, I think it is kind of, I don't as know. Yeah, a, it's as just an funny. American, just telling everybody listening to this that might be British, Fort Knox isn't that big. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of national pride in it, I guess. But everyone's shocked by all this. We see Parliament in panic and chaos as the Brits wonder what they can do. One member tries to shift blame onto Prime Minister Peter Sinjin. Oh, he's not having any of it. He says his position on all this is clear, you son of a bitch. At a London skyscraper, the Horace team is feeling pretty good about things when Sinjin, Zenith, and our boy Acid Archie burst in. Hey, stop doing all this stuff. You guys are jerks. Yeah. (laughs) Also, everyone knew where their headquarters was and no one tried to, like, blow it up. I guess then psychic people would murder you, but you I know. mean, yeah, I feel like the big move was sending those psychics out. They tried to kill Lux as well, you know. Like conventional explosives won't do that much, and you can imagine them being, you know, at least initially reluctant to use nukes before the war had actually broken out. You know, yeah, I know exactly. I mean, that was even mentioned in uh, like, it's, it's in the not, previous it, scene it, yeah, where it was just like, hey, what scene. are we gonna, what are we gonna nuke fucking the the whole of London? Which, you know, happened in this timeline. Volgans, not oh oh, well, oh no. they nuked they nuked Berlin to take right, out right. They uh, nuked Berlin. Maxi Man and Master Excuse Man. Excuse me. Yeah. I was I was thinking about disaster nineteen ninety. Yeah, not the same timeline. Ooh, what a fun one. And and they nuked the Midlands. They didn't nuke London, you know. Correct. <laughs> Anyway, they burst in, stop doing this stuff. The leader of Horus, Lux, says there's a better way to do things than fighting things out. Um, and suddenly and that's what psychics always say. Light. Yeah. That's what psychics always say. And then they're just like, guys, oh, in the dark time, we're going to do some psychic hoobajube. Psychedelic Boring. lights fills the room. And in the future, Payne says this was the start of the end of the world. Everybody saw some pretty crazy stuff. We all hallucinated. And also, I'm doing runs now because I'm young. Yeah, and early 40s pain is jogging through the streets of London. Hey, as someone who's also starting to jog in their early 40s, this really spoke to me. I, I tripped today. It was terrible. I'm all skinned up. Uh, no. And he, but he, he describes the terrifying battle of the Superman as a Superman in kind of an anticlimactic wall of text, Fox, if I'm if I'm not if, if I'm to be frank here. I strongly agree. However, I think it's married to the fact that he's also like kind of He's looking at at the past him having written all this. He's like, God, it's so dry. And like, yeah, you know, I guess I'll fill all of this in, but it's not all that important. Like he's he's having this like shift like through Mm -hmm. each of the comics that we've read where it's just like, I want to do less. And my old self is stupid. Yeah, it's interesting. I was old old self felt so compelled to write this stuff. And as he gets younger, he gets more and more, um, I guess, ambivalent about completing the record. Yeah. In the past, Sinjin, Zenith, and Archie are all being warped around in a psychedelic mess, though it looks like Archie actually isn't affected because, you know, he's a goddamn robot. Suddenly, Sinjin fights back, causing a massive explosion. Oh, Archie man. gets up now. He smashes Ghost with a chair and punches well, out Lux. So what I like is, like, 
Sinjin's just like he fires back and ev- and like everyone's like, oh, fuck, like he's really good. Which yeah. Everyone should have guessed. But Acid Archie, the reason he's even doing anything is like, man, I'm not psychic. Nothing's happening to me. I'm just going to beat the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah. Like you're going to mess with my hypothalamus, bro. I got circuits in my head. All right. Screw I- you. And then the worst thing in the world happens. He goes to crush Ruby Fox's head and insults her music, which I think is pretty excellent. But then she blows Correct. him up. No, uh, Archie. Listen, Conrad. These guys are fuckers, buddy. Don't like them. Acid Archie rode a dinosaur into combat. That's right. A paint, a dinosaur painted with hip, with hippie slogans. And Zenith's- quite <laughs> frankly... I really feel like she's not supporting the soldier. Nothing nothing gold can stay, friend. Zenith surveys the wreckage of London from atop. The ruins of the skyscraper, the whole place is pretty well leveled. Sinjin's hung over from the fight when Zenith suddenly notices his fingers getting frosty. It's DJ Chill! Yeah, about Chill goes that. <laughs> Chill goes to free Zenith and Zenith responds with a pretty cool, like, just fire blast. Way to do something for once, Zenith. All right. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess he's in his upcycle metabolic whatever the fuck. I like how they're not bringing that back in any sort of form nah. or fashion because it's dumb. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, DJ Chill burns but is soon put out by the horse folks. And we see the two women after being murdered have sort of transform- come back, transformed to sort of hairless Barbie dolls, I guess. Zenith complains that they keep coming back, and Sinjin just grabs them and pulls them through some sort of wormhole thing with a... Well, I mean, they do a jump to the left and then a step to the right. That's right. They put their hands on their hips, uh, and then they pull their knees in tight. They've... Yeah, pelvic thrust, they've run away, yay, yay, yay. To the future where the black sun stays. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole... And... The yes, future belongs to these superhumans and the whole destroyed world. Elsewhere, Sinjin is saying uh, that he and Zenith have just teleported strontium dog style, you know, so in time and sort of staying stationary in place. But he isn't sure how long it's been. It seems like it's been a bit, though, as the pair look up and see the black sun overhead. Which I, I'm going to call it right now. I know we've got another uh, episode to go through here. Uh I'm calling it they're in the same time frame as the doc. I mean, they have yeah, to be. Totally. So he's not the last. Well, he is the last human. Just not. Yeah. You know, keep in mind. Yeah. Two Zenith other superhumans. Yeah. Zenith and, 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 and Sinjin, not human. Like, let's let's be clear here. You know, they, and what we're going to find out at the end is that they're. There's something there's they're super jerks as much as anybody else, you know. Sinjin walks through Black Sun London, sees a mad baby doll on the ground, and I'll say that I gotta that I'm sort of have mixed feelings about this because this art is literally a colorized version of Sinjin's last time here in Black Sun Land in Prague 595, just with different narration boxes. Like if you if you go between 595 and 799, sort of in two like tabs or hold the pages up next to each other there, the art's identical, basically. Um, anyway, Zenith asks what's going on and Sinjin says to expect the worst. The fucking sun's black. That's not a uh, good yeah. sign. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Payne is in his 20s, enjoying his new youth while remembering the old version of himself as the world ended. He uh, also seems to remember a meeting with Sinjin or maybe a dream about doing it. He's not sure. 
We then see Lux and the Horuses uh, confronting Pain, Blaze, and Shockwave. He thinks Blaze and Shockwave will protect him. They will not. Plus, you know, he doesn't need protection, man. You've been like a father to us. You helped us through our childhood. But now we put away childish things. That's my addition. But I like the ominous, you know, trying to You know, it's kind of true because they just put him right back in a box and we're just like yeah yeah bye he he sort of realizes that he's totally fucked as the air comes alive with a wasp like buzzing of telepathic communication yeah (laughs) it's over for him it's over for humanity they'll only be lone survivors pain feels abandoned as lux checks out zenith's son and then he lays it out to pain hey buddy fyi uh you know master man master man the basis of all this that the nazis did only worked because his body was inhabited by one of these extra-dimensional beings, the Loigor, right? FYI, we superhumans, like the ones you made, us, like Lux and the Horus Boys, are and have always been the Loigor. They evolved to become so powerful that they move past silly concepts of time and space. They exist at all times forever. And thus, even when they were fighting the Loigor in part three, they were only fighting themselves. So, like, you know, whatever. Fuck you. Lovecraftian shit. (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out we are, we were, we will be the Loigor. You totally fucked, (laughs) E-Man. Whoa. Anyway, next time, plots and plans. Man, so I love it. (laughs) I do indeed love it. I cannot wait until a huge asshole comes in and ruins it for everybody. Let me say, I continue to really appreciate that Zenith continuously does nothing in the course of his own comic and stories here. It's excellent. I I think that I so I this is going to sound really trite. I think Mm -hmm. that it's genius. I I really do. Uh, Because like even in the early um, um, kind of versions of the comic, right? Mm hmm. All he really did, like, he had to do some fights once in a while. He th- he had to throw a punch now and then. Yeah, but not 90, even 90% of it was like, here's all the things, here's all the people. He wasn't doing, like, the miraculous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he just used, like, I, I, well, because I always go back to, like, him using logic where he's just like, look, man. Yeah. Yeah, when he took that, when he, when he talked, evil Richard Branson ended up taking over the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, and then you get to the fight with the Loigor where you're one out of thousands, baby, and no one likes you because <laughs> you're kind I, of a dick. I will say, um, and I don't want this to, I don't want this to poison you, Fox. All right, so like, forget about this after I talk to you about it. But yeah, that's no in, problem. In Thrill Power Overload, they quote Grant Morrison as saying he's he's kind of over Zenith at this point. Like Zenith, not- the character, or Zenith, the comic. The comic. He's, he's sort of over the, 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 the comic a little bit. I and can kind of see that. And, like, I don't want to say this story's rushed because we still got two, like, one and a half more episodes. No, of it but so. it, it does but, feel, like, less, I mean, especially compared to, to the last book, right? Like, this uh, one, yeah. I, I agree. It, this is not, I wouldn't put this at the top. I'm it's just fine. I'm just, I'm just really good. noticing it here with this, um, 
like by not sort of by sort of skipping over the apocalypse basically you know yeah. like we sort yeah. of we sort of know this story of uh like um of the superhuman sort of you know making the black sun and turning people into whatever but a lot of this stuff we're just going to be told it by pain instead of shown it through um through the story and that feels like a little bit of like of like of like corner cutting i guess in, and, in a you know, way i feel that that's fine right yeah i i i want to also say that i feel like just the way morrison writes it and the way mm. that uh, yol yol draws it and stuff does make it all still very compelling and creepy as well like and i think that because and it and it does sort of feed into this um you know the lovecraftian undercurrents that have always yeah. been there in zenith of sort of things being so terrible and on un- un- and uh, outside of human experience that you can't really depict them but mm-hmm. i also just want to mention like that i think that is a very fair criticism of yeah. um, of of this section of zenith certainly See, uh, you know cuz the way that i the way that i look at it is this it it doesn't need to be man of steel because that was vapid and empty by your boys uh, recount I'm o- um, I'm okay with Man of Steel. I, 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 know, I, 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 I know. I also I also understand. I also do not um, super disagree with the criticism of it. You know, whatever. Right. <laughs> so so what I mean is like what what I find masterful about this is that even knowing now that he didn't really care about it, he was like even if some things suffered, it certainly didn't in my mind. It's just not the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that you and I can both agree at this juncture now that we're getting close to the end, unless something really comes out of the bag. Uh, the last sentence story was the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- right? I feel like that was a high point. But yeah, and I just w- I want to say that also this is one of these things that you get when you've got like like this, like er- this early 90s Grant Morrison is like peak Morrison, I feel like, if mm. you're really into this stuff. Because like he's he's tired of Zenith because he's writing like he's like deep into the invisibles right now and stuff like that, sure. you know. Um, and so it's something like I would just say – you know, this is falling on deaf ears because I'm talking to an editorial staff 29 years ago. <laughs> but I would, I would, I would caution writers to take direct in- inspiration from this story because mm. it's something where a master of the craft is sort of using some shortcuts and being very fancy. But it's it's a very high degree of difficulty because. Uh, if another writer tried to do something like this, it could make a story that's very shitty. So you got to oh, be careful. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> this is a deep understanding of characters. I mean, one of the things about it is, is that I I, I honestly feel just no one is getting fleshed out at all. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Right. We this already is... know about some of them just through context from from um, Zenith three. Yeah. But quite honestly, well, this, is... this is where you would want them Truly fleshed out because most of them haven't been. Yeah, no, fuck, no, we, not we even know, Zenith, we know, really. We know very little about all these characters. You're right. Yeah, this is sort of the harvest phase of, um, of oh, this wow. thrill, you know, to, oh, wow. to use, some, use some technical lingo, buddy. We're sort of picking up the stuff Cutting that to the we quick put out there, previously. Buddy. That's right. Listen, and speaking of behind-the-scenes jargon, Fox, let's go on to non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Yeah, there are those. <laughs> Here we go. 796. Prog 796. Hot shots. Yeah. Dread and Johnny Alpha together at last on a cover by Carlos Escara. So nice. 
in the nerve center, Thug's getting so extremely nice. They ex- shot twice. <laughs> they shot a lot of times. Thug's getting extremely excited for Prague 800 and a raft of new graphic novel collections. The input section has not one but two pictures of Joe Pineapples, a mm. letter wishing their dad a happy 40th. Some, oh. Yeah, there's some inconsistencies in the art of a Judge Dredd story. And another writer was so stoked to see Prague 789, which is a joke that I wish I had noticed, and now awaits Prague's, Prague 1234, Prague 1234. And um, the, another letter talks about Magruder's beard, and a girlfriend is really tired of all the thrill power her boyfriend consumes. <laughs> yeah, he's just so overloaded. He's not paying attention. That's right. 797. Not a plane, Prague Fox. Boeing, get on it. Um, a black wow. and white Zenith is straining against a multicolored swirl drawn by Steve Yole as we far head far out, out with Zenith. That's right. In the nerve center, Tharg plugs the up- an upcoming signing at the UK comic art convention and free gifts and upcoming progs. Wait, Mid-issue- it's called CAC? It's called UCAC, yes. Oh, a CAC. <laughs> Uh, um, Mid-Prog, there's an ad for the upcoming annuals, a full-page pinup for flesh. You know what? You know why the dinosaurs were wiped out over hunting by cowboys. But did you know why the dinosaurs survived? The Legend oh. of Shimana starting soon. Oh, now I'm excited. Was it all those blood spiders? I don't think there are blood spiders in this version, actually, Man, which is sad. that's some... That's some poop. They ate there all the are. blood that came from the flesh grinders. They, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they got really they pissed came, when they turned them off. The grinders stopped. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to tell me, buddy. Only, only a radio playing the Yellow Rose of Texas allowed the, <laughs> the cowboys to survive. Um, <laughs> the input page is pictures of an Uncle Sam, Judge Dredd, and Kano from Bad Company. Kano returns. I God, <clears throat> it's been so long since I've thought about that name. Will be it'll it'll get here eventually in the eight hundreds I believe is when Bad Company returns for a little bit. Letters compliment Judgment Day. Ask why Dread's never been promoted. Guess who the dead man is? Oh no! And have mm. high praise for Button Man. Oh, I mean everybody should. That's right. Praise Prog be to Button Man. Listen, button him up. Proc seven ninety eight. <laughs> judge ju- Judge down. Peter Doherty draws a cover for the pen ultimate episode of Judgment Day. Is Dread KO'd or DOA? In the nerve center, Thard continues plugging annuals, Prog 800, and UCAC signings. The input page is in the middle of the Prog <laughs> this time with pictures of a judge, of a baby judge brat. Letters say mm. people should write in their favorite stories of old time, of all time. And this writer says that his top three are Halo Jones, Harry 20 on the High Rock, and Meltdown mm. Man. Solid choices. I feel that person knows. That person's, I mean, Meltdown Man, pretty good. I put that at like a like, you know, across everything, like the bottom 30 percent. But fucking Harry 20 on the high rock. That's such a good cut. Absolutely. Yeah. No, listen, Harry, like that's the one that that's when I always um, when people talk about 2080 movies, I'd love to see a uh, a Harry 20 movie. Honestly, I yeah. bet <clears throat> I, I want that like, to be a and d campaign. Ooh, all Just right. Seating that one for later. Listen. 
don't don't threaten me with a good time. Um, he also asks um, if, if Tharg could tell us the average age of readers, and Tharg says that it's sort of between 20 and 30, but there's a lot of very high variance. Like, there's a lot of really young readers, a lot of old readers as well. And I think it's funny because he says that, like, my wife, meanwhile, is not as huge a fan of 2000 AD, and that his wife actually wrote a letter as well saying, I think it's fine. I just don't want him to hang the art on the walls, you know, that sort of all, <laughs> whatever. There's... Also, a letter from another female reader, a question, um, sort of talking about ladies in 2000 AD, a question about cult firearms, because in Judgment Day, Dredd's got this cult, like, you know, cult 2000 or whatever, and apparently in 1992, cult fired for, filed for bankruptcy. So he says, but there is, so there will be no cult in the future. But buddy, don't worry, because the M4 is just a few years away and cult's going to be just fine. Um, and then another writer has some complaints about violence in ABC Warriors, and a final one lists his favorite mm. Flintstones episode for some reason. What? Mid-prog- yeah, I don't know. Um, later, there's an ad for a pair of Elvira video games, Fox. Oh, which I know I saw that, and I question where it is. Basically, th- th- these games are, are, are it's both- It's 30 pounds. Yeah, well, I mean, for two games, it's not too bad. Um, that but, says but something, the- I guess. I mean, 15 each, I don't know. But, like, those games are both those um, semi-3D dungeon crawlers, I guess. Okay, like, so, like, like uh, you know, you're, you're going forward with WASD. Well, not then, it was the arrow keys, but... Yeah, kind of like like those early Elder Scrolls games, or more recently, like like Legend of, of a Grimrock or whatever that game is, hey, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, hey. yeah, and apparently they're very difficult. They saw some actual plays, and it looks rough. Um or some some long plays. Do you ever of them. get I'm to just, see digital boobles? I mean, li- you get to s- listen. Cassandra <laughs> Peterson as Elvira. I think we've all got a soft spot in our heart for them, right over our right over our boobs or whatever. But you know, not actually one for getting for getting fully naked all the time. You know, more for the titillation. Which oh is fine. no, I'm sorry. Literally. I mean, to be clear, no, just in like a like a pixelated outfit. Listen, if you're looking for cleavage both because of swords and because of clothing choices, you'll get it if you play these Elvira games. There On the back go. cover, there's an, there's an ad for the return of Summer Magic. Let's get scared. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I feel like we're going to be eating our hat a little bit on this, but I feel like anyone who tells me that our take, well, okay, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Listen, plenty of ammunition for it later on. Seven ninety nine. Carlos Escara draws a final Judgment Day cover as a Grim Reaper spells doom for Savat. And the Nerve Center thug is getting psyched for the new look Nerve Center, which we'll be seeing on our next episode. Plus, so he's getting the- stoked for something he's not showing us yet. <laughs> No, he says it's about to happen. Be ready for it. You know, the nerve center is going to look different in Prague 800. Very exciting. I'm different. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, two chains. Uh, drive up in the seat of my seal and listen. Um, also, the pre free prizes and all the stuff coming in Prague 800. And now, of course, because the tide must continue, it's time to start plugging a few of the post 800 thrills, including cyberpunk thriller Wireheads oh. and second chapter for both Finn and Dead Meat. We'll get Wireheads actually okay. next episode as well. Gonna be then. This is full on William Gibson jacking into the Matrix cyberpunk stuff. It's gonna be uh, exciting. Oh, awesome! 
I'm into that. I say exciting as trepidatiously as possible. It's going to be quite a thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd be worried. Um, a mm, little bit. Mid-issue, oh, Roxilla no. is back with another music column and a totally fraudulent writer portrait. I know it's you, Mackenzie. <laughs> Lots of dance music and a new Suxpress album. Let's keep going. In the input page is a picture of Judge Calvin and Hobbes, which hit me in the, in the heart, Fox. Yeah, that's and- cute. Very nice. Very 1992 as well. Just this. I'm, I, I didn't know that Calvin Hobbes actually made it over um, to the UK, but man, that's such a big part when I was staying of, with of, my, of my childhood. Certainly. When I was staying with my grandmother and grandfather, like, there would be times where I would just go up there for the weekend and, and hang out with them, right? Um, in the Because uh, I would wake up really early. I, mm-hmm. there was, there's a bar in the middle of the kitchen. Where my grandfather mm. would sit and he would drink coffee and read the newspaper. And I would walk up and I'd sit in the bar stool next to him. And without talking, he would take the funny pages out of the newspaper and hand it to me. And I would sit there and read it. And my grandmother would make us breakfast. Oh, that's nice. I like that. And, I like that memory and, a lot. And Fox. Calvin and Hobbes, man. It was great. Yeah, no. Calvin Hobbes collection, always a strong book fair item for sure. See, my granddad, you'd have to fight. You'd have to sort of wait for him to be done with the comics because <laughs> he, he liked them. No, because every day he did the crossword mm. and the They ju- put he did them on the, the same page and the jumble. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did all. Yeah, it, the jumble, all the puzzles. He did all of them every morning in the uh, in like the Denver morning, whatever the, the daily Denver paper is. He That's interesting because our, our every cross- morning. Oh, please. Okay, sorry. Every morning he'd get up at 5 a.m. He'd play a round of golf and then do all the puzzles in the newspaper. And he did that oh my like God. every day. Our grandfather's sound immediately. He lived like, to be like mine 95. He was sharp as attack the whole time. It was crazy. Mine did the crossword every morning. My granddad always. Nuts. He always. He always, he always like made fun of my brother and me for like not getting up at five, and he talk about how, <laughs> geez, this is not, this is not, oh, whatever. <laughs> he'd he'd tell this story about how you know he was in the navy in World War Two, and um, the ship he was on got hit by a kamikaze plane, and Jesus. everybody who was sleeping below deck like was killed, and that <laughs> was his that was his story for why you should get up early. <laughs> oh. oh my god. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how true that is, but that is the story oh, he told. Oh, oh my God, Conrad! No training wheels, that guy. Every Jesus, time, you know, like yeah, listen, all those guys—that's that's a great memory. <laughs> Got to get up. Um, anyway, we, there's also a picture of Ro, of Rojas who's killed all the other APC warriors because he's a chaos droid. Um, letters ask about some apparent time inconsistencies in Dredd's life, but you got to remember that when Dredd was born, like he was popped out of the tube five years old. <laughs> so you do get some things of like, you know, something happened – 20 years ago but he's sort of five he's five years older than he should be at that of those timeline whatever he popped out the five years old five that's right <laughs> put in the justice academy several letters ask about lovecraftian influences on tharg and zenith and a final letter discusses letter writing strategy Ooh, to get it printed and stuff like that okay speaking of strategic maneuvers fox i don't know where we're going Talk about the Byzantine machinations of goddamn robots in Drill Four Robo Hunter. Hey, let's let's just like 
circle the toilet bowl as we flush down into my insanity. Hey, let's see what movies and TV shows Mark Miller's been watching recently. Yeah, you know. Oh, could he, have, could he have picked up a VHS of uh, Deer of the Deer Hunter recently? Perhaps some Mash reruns on TV. Hmm. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Jose Casanovas, and okay, Jose Casanovas Jr. Learning robot Tom Frame. Cause suicide is painless. No, because that's ma- that's the mash yeah, theme song. No, I'm saying ah because that mash theme like has an emotional response for me. <laughs> I love mash. Me too. Absolutely. It's uh, a very anyway, good show. Robo. Yeah. Let 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 let's get to it when we get sure. to it here. Uh, yeah. Robo okay. Hunt- Robo-Hunter Sam Slade has returned to planet Verdis, where he and a motley crew of Robo-Hunters have escaped the meat police and are on the trail of the mysterious Doc Magnet, the greatest Robo-Hunter ever. They're currently walking through a forest full of strung-up meat police corpses with angry notes attached to them. The leader of this group, a lizard, the lizard-like Doc Dinosaur, tells Sam the story of Doc Magnet. He's a survivor of a singularity-type event on a distant planet where the robots rose up and killed their indolent human, human masters. They became like murder machines <laughs> like yeah. that's the singularity once you get robot yeah once you get robots building robots it's only a matter of time before they ca- become murder machines like that one movie screamers do you ever see that one like in 96 or so oh, oh man that seems familiar one of those philip one of those sort of like i feel like in the 90s after total recall and um one or two other like big philip k dick movies came out they sort of optioned everything he wrote for some mind-bending b-movie sci-fi films um Anyway, Magnus survived for years on this hostile robot-filled world until he was the only human survivor. Eventually, he scavenged parts from bots and built a spaceship, finding a peaceful new home on the planet Verdus. He was chilling in the jungle when Sam did his thing, but eventually the meat police came to find him. And when they tracked him down, they found this planet full of uh, dead robot society, all killed by Sam Slade. Anyway... Let's climb over this robo-shark-infested river and into the arms of a bunch of the army robots from the first Robo-Hunter story. Meanwhile, in a fancy candle-filled cathedral room, the leader of Virtus, the big brain, along with Generals 1 and 2, are drilling Sam's old partner, the baby Captain Kidd, on how to betray both Sam and Dr. Magnet. Clearly a robot. Seems like it is. I don't know. The Robo-Hunters have been taken prisoner and are now in sort of a mashup of MASH and Deer Hunter as a Klinger robot in a dress demands that Sam and another Robo-Hunter play Russian Roulette. The other members of our Robo-Hunter team have also found that that these particular bots are cannibals. Um, Sam's currently playing against a, a gorilla alien and both of them survived the first round of roulette as the bots joke and banter. The gorilla then takes another pull of the trigger, finds the bullet and, you know, shoots himself in the head. This is a really grim fucking part yeah, of this no, story, just buddy. See a robot <laughs> explode with its eyes and teeth and fucking bottom jaw shooting out everywhere and now's a good mm. time after this really horrible thing happened to just shoot everybody as opposed to that one time you had the gun like well, so, they well, gave so, him they gave him the gun conrad 
Well, what happens is that Sam's next opponent is his teammate, Ducky Leatherpants, and seemingly despondent, Sam asks for a gun with four bullets in it. That's obviously a death sentence because, you know, whatever. I don't have to talk about the laws of probability with you, buddy. Um, And things get tense as Sam puts the gun to his head, prepares to pull the trigger. But then instead, he shoots the Klinger bot and takes that guy's gun, too. Now he's got two guns. He's shooting up the place because, you know, four bullets plus Klinger's gun is enough for him to kill all these guys. Dodging through gunfire. Um, But suddenly he sees his old buddy kid tied upside down to a rock. And perfectly fine, unscathed, not beaten, with the diaper on, like he was. Happy and like, combat well, boots. And this was like years ago, so the, he hasn't grown up, right? Yeah, dist- disturbing, certainly. Like, I because mean, that's what should have happened. Also, he's yeah. about the size of a man. He is large-ish, yes. Um, so we've transitioned to Apocalypse Now as Sam Kidd and the Hunters yep. are riding yep. on a, down the river on a boat. Cocaine-fueled um, apocalypse now. <laughs> yeah. I guess we sort of discussed some of the setups about how kids actually 34 and the boat has to stop because of a robot's – a robot monster's buddy blocks the way. So the robot hunters, hunters hit out on foot past more murder shrines as they go, including a bunch of politicians from the first Robo Hunter story. The hunters make camp cooking some kind of rabbits as like basically kid asks like, hey, weren't you old when we last did Robo Hunter like back in the day? And he's like, yeah, I got to rejuve. But there's no explanation of how Sam ended up being a hundred and kid didn't get any older at all. It's just a lot going on here. Also just eating maggots. Yeah. And then they for some reason, this rabbit they're cooking is also full of maggots. And so kid eats the roasted rabbit and the live maggots i don't understand the biology it's really gross it is extremely gross and they're all jumping into his mouth to be clear these maggots are very into being inside his body that's right Oh, and hey guess what another team member dies yeah well doc dinosaur is like jesus christ what a life and pulls out a chocolate bar he's been hiding all this time and offers everyone a piece but before he can break it along the lines there he gets harpooned in the neck oh there's harpoon flying all over the place there's a bunch of robo teens atta- oh i should say uh, also sorry fox earlier when they were walking through the jungle oh, yeah. they were being obso- observed by some kind of no of i remember Zach blue Morris robot with a blue yeah. hair I call him a because he was talking on a big cell phone also. <laughs> remember when I said that all of these people are going to die? None of this oh, yeah. team matters. I mean, listen, like that, I don't think I disagree kind of for, for the that record. That kind of foresight, you shouldn't be coming into a comic book with that kind of foresight. That's all mm. I mean. Like, that's yeah, bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the robo-teens attack and the hunters run run away, making it to a forest made of glass, haunt, um, haunted by terrifying blind glass birds that hunt by sound. Oh, hey, the Conrad, hun- Conrad, if, if, um, if those robots were like, I don't know, like 12 or something like that, would they be robo-tweens? Yeah, I guess so. You know, they, they'd watch a lot of like uh, Robo Disney Channel with a, with like uh, but with it'd be weird like they, they were watching like hosting. National Treasure to be edgy. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, all I'm saying is a glass bird hunt into the hunt of a cold dead bunt. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um. Anyway. 
The team has to go in very quiet. The harpooners try to be silent as well, but a dying Doc Dinosaur comes behind them and shoots into the air, calling down the birds. The remaining hunters make their way through a swamp as the surviving bots come after them, but they've arrived at the clearly haunted amusement park of the Robo Hunter Captain Ugh. Carnival, just kind of sitting in the middle of this jungle, I guess. Okay. Um, it's almost it, like they built the traps for them. Yeah. In a giant bone cathedral, the army robots confirm that the big to the big brain that kid has been inserted into Slade's team. And the big brain has a headache and is so smart that he just kind of dismisses them. Like he answers their next three questions before they give them and all that kind of stuff. Pretty solid. Inside the carnival, we learn that the universe is full of goddamn weird robo-hunters. Like, there's this clown one. There's even a microscopic one that kind of fights micro-drones. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm sure sure that won't come to anything. The park has weird amusements, (laughs) like James Dean-themed bumper cars, which Which is is not you playing in the bumper cars. It's observing James Dean. Yeah, a bunch of of, uh, James Dean. James's Dean? James yeah. Dean's James in the bumper Deny cars. is actually the plural. I really it's hope a that clutch they're like of James. I, oh please, no, it's, it's a, a crack cool of James. Of, it's a no, cool it, of James Dean's, it, buddy. Come I, on. It, it would be a cool of James if it weren't a crash of James, which is if you look at the car titles, James Dean Crash Carts, which by the way, fucking like really, guys. <laughs> they should have put there should be a Jane Mansfield in there, too, just to kind of liven things up, but to get some diversity. Heads no, pop off uh, like rock and sock and robots. That's so you know who oh loses. Uh, the crew gets split up. Ducky into a hall of mirrors reflecting his most hidden feelings and dark secrets. Sam what to his a fortune mouth teller. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Sam to a fortune teller warning him that he can't trust anyone in his bloody future. Uh. And kid to a roller coaster full of spirits of dead loved ones and skeletons and stuff. The Hood, the final member of our team, seems unbothered until those goddamn robo-teens hit him in the leg with a harpoon, which breaches his suit and causes a massive explosion. You fuckers! (laughs) I mean, that's just like his thing, man. (laughs) I told you not to breach my suit. You ripped it. He explodes, destroys the carnival, but it seems like Sam and Ducky are the only survivors, along with Kid, who's face down in the river. Sam goes to give Kid CPR when a red ball bounces over to them, and a little robot kid asks for it back. They've arrived <sighs> at Normalville, home of Doc Magnet. It's all green lawns and white picket fences as far as the eye can see. It's Next the time, the return of Doc Magnet. Man, do you think he's dead like that one episode of Star Trek where they find that signal and they go down to the planet and it's just this like hotel because the the astronaut that crashed there was reading that one book and the aliens were like, oh, I didn't want to fucking kill him. So we reproduce this thing. I think it's going to be somehow better and worse than that, Fox. I well, I think it's definitely going to be worse, but better than my retelling of that episode. I think it's going to, like, I think we're about, you know, again, science fiction fights with that, uh, with the Mr. Skin avatar or whatever, you know. Like, oh, sort of like God. One of these pipe guys, you know what I'm talking that's, about? That's anyway. a fucking thing to reference. Like, I feel like, listen, I feel like I've been hitting around that I'm a, that, like, I'm a terrible person, Fox. We all know it. Anyway. No. Let's go. You're not. 
<laughs> but that's good. That was I got a, a little good... life, buddy. But you know, I'm talking about that like dude with like the smile and the pipe and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Anyway, speaking of familiar faces, Fox, I don't know. That's not probably good, but whatever. Fucking... Um, 305 Future Shocks. Speaking of something I'd rather talk about, mm. three so out of first... four ain't bad. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Three out of four is not bad. Good job, Future Shocks. This is my golf clap for you. Well, Conrad, please, please continue to describe these. There's some interesting ones here. Um, we got four because, you know, again, this is sort of deck clearing time. The first one's um, called A Hitch in Time, script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Staz Johnson, lettering robot Glib. First time in the prog for noted Robin and Catwoman artist Staz Johnson. He'll be back in here, but not until like the 1200s, honestly. So this might be actually some of his first comic work. He'd go quickly from the UK to US for that kind of stuff. Um Lionel, oh, I should say Barney has his as Staz Johnson with a question mark, but it's listed on his Wikipedia page, so it could be, it could theoretically be a different S. Johnson for the record. Um, Anyway, Lionel Goodings is a bitter man, broken emotionally after being dumped to the altar 15 years ago. Now he's headed to his grandfather's place who's just invented a working time machine. His grandfather, we, we see, is deeply worried about his own <laughs> great-grandchildren showing up to kill him for fun and, you know, to talk about paradoxes um, as he takes Lionel down to the machine. Lionel wants to go back and see who took his wife, but his grandpa says, no way, and tries to stop him pulling a, leather, a lever to re release a murderous leopard again this is the grandpa again he's doing this and knowing the end he could have just explained everything instead of the leopard just to be clear but leopard none the same i never thought the leopard would eat my face yeah kill leopard (laughs) okay i have a cat they don't care they'll just eat whatever yeah, I mean, you know, listen, <laughs> that's why that's why I try to stay dry because I don't want a, a leopard to think that I'm wet food by accident. <laughs> uh, oh, look at all that sauce basting. Look, I'm neither crunchy nor wet, so I, I'm not on the menu. Um, anyway, Lionel uh, goes back in time. Uh, where am I? Oh, God, God, God. Lionel heads back to his wedding and sees a mysterious figure in the back of the ceremony. It's his old grandpa. It's just from maybe a couple hours ago or previously, he's on his first time mission to stop Lionel from getting married so he won't have any children, and thus the uh, children's <laughs> children, the, like those grandchildren, won't kill him. Lionel's not impressed stop by this you logic. having babies. Yeah. Lionel's not impressed by this logic and drowns his own grandfather in the past baptismal font. My suggestion would have been to go back in time to make sure that your son... Oh, wait, is that him? No, it's his grandson, right? Yeah. So he should have gone back in time to make sure that his son didn't have children. Or uh, maybe it was more fucked up than this. No, he said it was his first mission. Yeah. I guess he likes his grandson. Or, yeah, something. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't know. His, also, like, how did he know for his first mission to go back in time to stop you from making great-grandchildren? I mean, you gotta, like, I guess he just assumed that he wouldn't have children out of wedlock. So <laughs> I'm just saying, married. this guy's assuming that his his progeny will murder him. He's it enough. seems like a good, it's a good assumption, because when Lionel gets back to the present, there's a blonde lady in the basement with him that looks like his wife, but it's actually his own great-granddaughter with a knife. And questions about reality. <laughs> hey, about listen, the let's find out what happens when I fucking murder you. It'll be fun. Kill someone else's great-grandfather. That's what I say. See well, what happens to I, them. I, something tells me that she's, you know, something happened. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Next up, story's called Hot Iron, script robot. Oh, God, script love and it. art robot Jim Bakey, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. We're in some kind of Mad Max type setting, Fox, as a horse riding warrior with a horned helmet made of bike handlebars, complete with bell, has a woman dragged over and tied to an apple tree. The warrior then rides to a nearby blacksmith and demands a magic sharp blade. The smith refuses until the warrior reveals the woman tied to the tree. The smith then makes the sword. It's pretty awesome. It can cut through anvils and stuff like that. But instead of freeing the lady, he just kills the smith. Riding back to the tree, he cuts the top off the apple tree holding the woman and rides off with her uh, like sort of, you know, uh, slung over his saddle. But then a stray apple bounces down the hill, hits the blacksmith's horse on the butt. It bucks, kicking over a water tub onto the forge, sending the swords uh, sort of heating up there, flying into the sky in a big explosion. They fly aimed directly at the warrior, sort of hitting him and then stabbing him a thousand times sort of on the ground there, which is pretty awesome. And now that same woman is riding off with all his stuff and a magic sharp sword. Man, let me tell you, I only have two notes. First, I would make this my top if I could, but I won't. Second, if uh, I were escaping lady from this situation, I'd have at least grabbed two magic swords. Yeah, I get a couple of them. I really like this one, too. I think it's really cool that there are word bubbles in this, but minimal word bubbles, I think. And it really all of g- the comedy is clear. Yeah, it gives Bakey a chance to shine with his art in a really fun, funny story, definitely. Just a nice, a, a, a nice little future shock here. Very well done. Next up, we've got uh, Seeds, script robot Peter Hogan, art robot Lee Sullivan, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. Six-pager here. Basic punchline, uh, basic future shock punchline. You know, these futuristic folks are actually on ancient Earth. Uh, they're space colonists here. They've settled on Atlantis and their home world gets destroyed. So they're sort of forced to be the future of humanity. You know, that's a, that's the basic overview. But I thought their writing was actually really nice here. I um, This is this is one of the ones I told you is three out of four. This is fantastic. Yeah. Hogan takes time to do some world building to just kind of establish the sci-fi nature of the setting and the world beyond this planet. Um, and then afterwards, there's actually pretty inspiring stuff, I think, about how they yeah. have, even though they're the last survivors of, the, of humanity, and even if their tools break down in a few generations, they'll be a little more than savages, you know, they still got to keep going for the future, and eventually they can rebuild and sort of, you know, continue the the human race which i think is an is a is a it's good is a good concept quality, it's a quality hopeful tragedy kind of stuff yeah definitely exactly. definitely very good hopeful sci-fi i and and like i just love the send off at the end of this it's not like air horns it's like look atlantis is our home now and you you sort of sign off this lady is like tomorrow i promise love you too literally we can do nothing we're in this fucking space station and then it ends with just a very beautiful quote, right? Like, and soon all of us will sleep under the earth. We who never let each other sleep. Up. Yeah, it's nice. It, um, it's a I, well done fucking story. Definitely. I also really like Lee Sullivan's art here. Um, yes. There's a point. There's some zero G tears in the course of it, which I think is really not. Is a yeah, really nice they know effect. What's, well, and that's the thing is like the as it's coming online, it's like, oh, there was this thing that happened. We don't know what it is. Going back mm-hmm. to our humdrum jobs. Okay, God, I wish they hadn't done this and that. Okay, well, don't worry. We'll hear from whoever. 
you hear from the space station and it's like, look, okay, here's this thing. This is what happened. But there's still some other stuff and they're they're not letting everything out at one time because that's not mm-hmm. what you, you should do in a mission. Right. You don't just say, here's all the fucking problems. Well, and it's like, you know, they're sort of seeing like uh, yeah. they sort of talk about like war with some other race. And then mm-hmm. eventually it seems like their homeworld gets destroyed. And it's in like a disaster. It's one of these things where the information like first they just see a flash in the sky and then, you know, n- reports of things come trickling in, which does feel kind of realistic for when they're for real disasters, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I also um, you mentioned this final shot with the quote and stuff, and it's got this really big it's like a full page image with this view of this Atlantis continent, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, basically, and sort of modern continents around it and stuff like that. Um, which is fun just of the idea of like not only like all of the all the records of these people will be lost as they sort of become you know, when Atlantis sinks somehow and this dis- diaspora yeah. will become humanity. Something you might n- – that's a little Easter egg in this image, Fox, actually. If you look um, on the com- on one of the computer screens, there's what's clearly a map of the solar system mm-hmm. and there's a secret fifth planet um, between Mars and Jupiter. It's a um, Numburu? Uh, uh, Phaeton actually is the, uh, is the name of the theoretical planet that was blown up and, um, became the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Oh shit. Oh, that's cool. But so Man, it's, it's so an, they did their fucking homework. Yeah. It's an idea of this final look of a series of just like, like sort of teasing if you kind of know like some, you know, like fancy alternate versions of 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 sci-fi-ish history of several impending de- disasters sort of man you know, that's that's so in here. neat but it's, it's, I a, love it's a neat little layers. thing see this is the thing this is the one that actually was my absolute favorite and it is it is because it is just a great self-contained story mm-hmm. for sure Okay, so let's finish up here, Fox, with the with our final uh, future shock. This Island Dulwich. Script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Jeff Anderson, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. Fox, have you seen the movie This Island Earth? Or no. perhaps the Mystery Science Three uh, the, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. No. Which also covered the movie This Island Earth. So, I do like Mystery Science Theater 3000, but I haven't seen This Island Earth. Definitely. That's the um, like like they did like a full MST3K movie that was like in theaters and stuff like that. And in that one, they did um, This Island Earth for it. It's a good you know, the movie's really good. I, I feel like it's impossible to find these days, actually. <laughs> like that's one of the ones that one might be lost. You know, all the old episodes are hard to find generally. But um, yeah, base, but the idea of the movie is basically aliens last starfighters some scientists by sending them oh. mysterious instructions for an interstellar communication device and seeing if they can build it. And they do, and they, then they build a spaceship, and then they kind of go to this alien planet. There's monsters that are kind of praying mantises with giant exposed brains. Basically, it's just – this story has been mined completely in the course of uh, this yeah. um, sci-fi. No, this, this, was my, this, this was the, ex- the one that I was like, meh. If you've, it, I, I feel like it's one of these old science fiction movies that is a has a big, um, like Saturday afternoon TV movie kind of feel to it, you know. But um, 
Yeah, if you've seen the movie, then you know this is basically just just a, a full send off send up of that movie. Um, this time, the instructions are sent to a kind of thick family in East Dulwich, um, and the home video system they ordered is sent to their neighbor, a scientific genius. So he sets up a cable box and watches Snooker on TV while they put together this alien communication device, trying to warn humanity of a coming uh, disaster. Um, anyway, like, the alien on the communication device gets so frustrated with their dumbness that it starts shooting laser at at them. Meanwhile, the genius is arrested by the man in black for not having a TV license, which I've been learning a lot about recently. Um, and then, of course, a very snooker-esque Armageddon then takes place. Whatever. Yep, pretty much. Didn't Always read the shipping labels after. on your packages. <laughs> <laughs> I just, after the other three, this one was so lackluster. Yeah, da- yeah. After three, actually, pretty fun future shocks. This one was sort of Which also is, also a long one as well. But this one was not a great one. Listeners, no, I fucking don't like future shocks for the most part. It's been mm-hmm. it's been rare. To have three in in one episode is truly a treasure. Absolutely. And it wasn't and tiny now, aliens the whole time. That's right, Fox. And now it's time to measure that treasure. Because <laughs> I want to know what your top <laughs> and bottom thrills are for Progs seven ninety six to seven ninety nine. I mean, I I feel like it's it's fairly simple to me. Um, Zenith is a clear top space. Um, I do feel like I know where it's going. Again, I I really love the writing. Uh, a lot. Uh, obviously, the visuals are on par for that. I I think our discussion sort of opened up my mind to the fact that okay, sure, they they might be backing out, but they're not backing down necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and bottom is that dang Robo Hunter man. I don't like that. It's dumb. I don't. I'm still not enjoying it. Everything that I thought was going to happen did happen. And then as soon as mm-hmm. you said, "Oh look, I wonder what someone's been watching lately." It felt like like when you're overshadowed by three different future shocks, that's not a good look. That's all I got to say. Like even Bradley was fine. I got I got the horny energy from it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, um, man. So how about you, Conrad? Tell me one again. Our dread's been in the judgment zone, but I got to I, I, oh, would I be mean, that'd be top. That if I didn't top. talk about the end of 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 if, if we didn't talk a little bit about the end of Judgment Day and just Johnny and Dread teaming up to fight Sabat, who turns into a murder octopus. And oh just God, a blood that, murder octopus! Yeah, and just that final ultra iconic image of Dread and Johnny walking off into the sunset. Like, oh, I mean, that's all shoving, so good. Shoving his head onto an earth spike. Like, it's awesome. There's so much in there that, I mean, I'm sure yeah. everyone heard us talk about it. I fucking love it. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, the like, like the, the final fate of Sabat is silly and whatever else, but it's also real fun. And just like, I don't know, like, A can't comic be underestimated. Got to mention, Yeah, of course. Exactly. This kind of schlocky ridiculousness. And it really did dot the I's and toss the T's of what you would want from a multi-part Dread Johnny Alpha team up. Um, so I got to mention that. But of the things that we're counting together, I got to agree with you, honestly. Like Bradley was in a 
defensive. I like these future shocks pretty well. But Zenith is really good, man. It's really, like, I don't know. I'm really enjoying it. And I feel like there are criticisms of it, but it's still a fun read. And it's still just like what I'm looking for with this kind of story, I guess. You yeah, know, it's, it's a good it's one. Not, it's not my top of the series, but it's in that same pedigree. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, and Bradley, you know, very inoffensive. Future Shock's pretty good, honestly. And man, just I got to tell you, like getting to the end of these progs and reading Robo Hunter is tough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a t it, I don't how like is this it. a closer. How is Robo Hunter a closer? It's so noisy. It's there's so much going on. Everything is a joke, but everything is like marginally serious and then like nothing matters. Maybe it's just like avant-garde. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like the radical tone shifts could be like, I, f I feel like they're definitely trying to have these big shifts of just like, Hey, let's have some silly banter. Let's have some banter and some graphic violence, but the banter isn't funny enough, I guess, or I don't know. No, I don't, I just, it's, it's dumb. It is flat. I feel like it's, it's, it's just flat. I feel like it's trying to have it both ways and it doesn't really succeed in at least one way. And like, I just, you like, fuck, I'm really <laughs> like unhappy with the Russian roulette scene, Fox. Whoa, that's a, that's some heavy shit that you got to earn a little bit and it's not earned in the course of this stuff. And let me also None say- None of this is earned. They went back to the place that was already done and earned itself the earnership of earning well, this. Well, well, and, well, well, well oh, let God. me, let, let me also say that- while I criticized Robo Hunter for not for just sort of throwing out the stuff that came before in the initial parts of the relaunch, somehow this going back and being full of callbacks and references to the previous story is somehow worse. So I don't know. I don't know. I just do. I do not that's, like that's this my new point. Is it just it just <laughs> feels like what can we take from the past that. I like I would argue probably half their readership isn't aware of like or more mm -hmm. like why why plum robo hunter like Sam Slade being a schlub back then was fine and it was actually I mean we we both enjoyed it up until a point because it overstayed its welcome and the character never changed or at the very least the the world around him didn't change to mock him in some way. I don't know. Like the whole thing's just like it. <sighs> it's bad. Yeah. No. Just not not great. Don't like it. Ugh. Anyway. Ugh. Ugh. We'll be done with done with Robo Hunter soon, Fox. We'll finish it up next up we'll, forever. <laughs> we'll finish it. No. Um. We'll uh, be done with it next time. And then, oh my God! Oh, I'm looking when it comes back. Comes back because comes God back knows. Soon. God knows the iconic Robo Hunter needs to come back. We're gonna have. We're gonna have a. Oh, we're. Oh my God! Oh, gee, I gotta stop looking at this. Okay. Anyway, if I hope you enjoyed this show. Yeah, I hope belly, you did too. I hope you enjoyed our belly ache. And you know, as always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, SpaceSpinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us, SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com. Find us on the 2080 forums or on our, on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at Space. Space Spinner 2K, I think also Space Spinner 2000, you'll find us. And hey, why not drop us?
us a rating, a review, wherever you're listening. Or if anybody's looking for a cool podcast, help us out a lot. Yeah, we're not bad. I mean, yeah, come you know. On. Be cool. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghan, Sam Kip Miller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Then come hey. back next time. As we take a quick break before Prague 800 hits to check out the 1993 2000 AD and Judge Dredd yearbook. Ooh. Yearbooks. Exciting time. These big old special, edi- special make editions sure, as always. Make sure all of your uh, cadet friends sign the book before they go on their hot dog run. Yeah, have a cool summer. Then in two weeks, we'll be back <laughs> with Prague 800 and all that entails. Robo Hunter and Zenith roll on. We'll get new chapters of the long-awaited thrills, Luke Kirby and Flesh. Yes. I can't wait. Jurassic Park. Oh, my God. I, I got it. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spin 2000. Splendid Splendid Earthquake! Earthquake! <laughs>